0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. I just realized this is the first time in all of history that we'll be able to have a 2020 series and have it anything to do with 2020. After that, it'll be 2021, 20... I was trying to do the math. Is it another 10,000 years? When will it be... None of us will be here, won't matter. Okay, so welcome to King's Day. We're really glad that you're here with us today. And we're kind of just talking about who is God, what's he doing in our midst, and what do we want to see done? And the way that I want to get us there today, I put this question on Facebook earlier this week. It was interesting, some of the responses. If you're one of my Facebook friends, you can read it later. But I just want to start by asking this question and then see if you know the answer. You ready? Do you remember the moment you knew why God put you on this earth? Do you remember the moment you knew why God put you on the earth? In my 20 years of being a pastor full time, uh, before that, volunteering in many ways, uh, so maybe 25 years, it's called Ministry Experience. This would go to the heart of the one question I receive the most. I get lots of questions about uh, marriage and sexuality. I get lots of questions about uh, money and theology. I get lots of questions about church and church structure and even philosophical questions about the sovereignty of God and free will and all those things. But the number one question, and it's not even close, the number one question I get has to do with meaning and purpose on the earth. What job should I take? Should I make this move? Should I sell my house? Should I give my car? Should I buy a car? Should I do this? Should I do that? And all of it comes back to the root of the answer to that question. Do you remember the moment that you knew why God put you on this earth? Now, when I put this out on Facebook, a wide variety of answers from people saying, I knew the moment that I held my baby in my arms for the very first time. And everybody went, see, I need not to tell you what to do, Right? Or some people said, uh, you know, I don't know. Or how do I know if I know? Or whatever it might be for you. Here's what I thought the answer was for a long time. Before I tell you what I think the answer is, here's what I thought the answer was. I'll never forget the day that I was at a church camp. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, and we actually do similar things here at Kingsway over the summer, but my church youth group, I grew up at a small church in a, sm- in a smallish town in Ohio. And uh, there were many smaller churches that would get their youth groups together, and the groups would range from five kids to 40 kids. We had one of the bigger groups. We'd come together, there'd be 150 of us, and we would just get together and be crazy for a week, and it was nuts. And you'd stay up real late, and you'd get up early, and you'd be exhausted. And usually about three-fourths of the way through that week, somewhere around Thursday night, they'd do what's called an invitation. And somebody would preach about Jesus, and then you'd respond. But in this particular situation, I was going to be a senior in high school that year, so I would have been somewhere around 17, almost 18 years old, and uh, I went to this camp, and at this particular moment, I was wrestling with God, and when the preacher threw down, I knew exactly who he was talking to. There was nobody else in the room. It was just me and God, you know, those moments, right? And in that moment, I remember God calling me forward to make a decision, but I was refusing to go. I said, no, I'm not gonna respond, God. You can't make me go, and the reason I wasn't gonna respond is because I'd been there before, I've been to camp before, I've been to retreats before, I've been in moments where somebody had proclaimed a message from God's word before, and and I just didn't want to do it. And the reason I did want to do it, and maybe this is where you are right now, but the reason I didn't want to do it is because I wasn't sure I was going to follow through. I mean, what really would be different if I take this step? I've been here before, I struggle with the same things, I've got the same issues, by the way, many of those same issues are the same issues that I deal with today, So what was the benefit of going forward? And finally, when the song was done, this is back in the day when pastors would do this. Some of you know what I'm talking about. My youth minister actually got up. He was the dean of the week, and he said, I don't know why. I just feel like there's some people in this room who need to respond who haven't responded yet, so we're just gonna sing this chorus one more time. You been there? Yeah? So so you're like, yeah, I've been in that church. So the preacher keeps going, until somebody gets up. Like, dear Lord, we wanna eat. Somebody go. I don't care what you confess. Just let's do this. (laughs) <laughs> but I knew he meant me. In fact, he literally meant me because he told me later, you were one of the ones I was thinking about. And I don't know why, I literally went up and I got to the front of the stage and then they kind of went and had this private conversation with everybody, shared with everybody the decision everybody's making. If you are been to that moment, you don't talk about it. If not, you think we're weird. It's cool, I get it. But in that moment, my youth pastor, he looked at me, he said, Matt, why are you up here today? I said, I don't know. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I know I need to get right with the Lord, and I know I'm starting my senior year of high school, and then after that, college, and I'm terrified of all those things, but I don't know, I just know that I'm supposed to be here. I don't know, I don't know. And he said, well, I think I know why you're supposed to be here. And he pulls out this card, and he says, right here, he said, "Um, I think you're supposed to go into full-time ministry. Here's what I thought. Well, of course I would go into full-time ministry. Why wouldn't I go into full-time ministry? I already volunteer in the two and three-year-olds at my church. I already lead a high school group at my church. I lead a Bible study of other people at my church. I do stuff at the school, see at the polls, some other things, and Bible studies at our church. I'm already trying to influence my cross-country and track teams at the school. Like, yeah, of course, I'm always going to serve God full-time. Like, that was just expected, but that wasn't why I was here. Check the box. Everybody celebrated, moved on. And then when that night was over, he said, Matt, when we get back, I want to go to lunch with you. Well, it took a couple weeks. He finally called me. We scheduled some things so before cell phones and email. I know, I know. There was a day, and, uh, and, you know, went to the wall, and, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, some of you don't know, you can actually Google millennials trying to figure out what to do with those phones, rotary phones, look it up later, anyway, we had a touch button phone at that point, but it had a long cord, anyway, we went to lunch finally, and he looks across the table at me at lunch, and he says, Matt, I really think God's calling you into full-time ministry, and again, I told him, blah, 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 he goes, that's not what I mean, Your dad is an elder in the church, and we're so thankful that he's an elder in our church. That would be awesome if you would do that. I think God's calling you into full-time ministry. And I was like, uh, like you? He's like, yeah, I'm like, but you don't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) It took the better half of the next two years for God to get me to Bible college. Now, that's a long story. But that's not why I'm on earth. I thought for the longest time, that's why God put me here. But let me just tell you tomorrow, if God takes away my vocal cords, I still have a purpose on this earth. If God takes away all my fingers and my vocal cords, so I can neither write nor preach anymore, I still have a purpose on this earth. And it has nothing to do with my job. My job actually comes out of my identity in Christ, but it is not my identity in Christ. God could call me to another church. God could call me to another mission field. God could do any number of things, but it's because this one thing is centered in my life, and that is I know exactly why God put me here, and that's what I want to share with you today. So, What I want to do real quick in like two minutes or less is bring you up to speed on what we looked at last week. What we looked at last week is this one phrase, right? God's love plus nothing equals everything. God's love plus nothing equals everything. This is what I call church math, Bible math. This is preacher math, right? It can't add anything together. It's like going to school in Kentucky. It doesn't make any sense. I love you. My wife's from Kentucky. I'm allowed to make Kentucky jokes. I bought the license. Okay, so. I'm joking. In all seriousness, this doesn't add up except for if you understand what it means. What it doesn't mean, let me clarify, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean what we call the prosperity gospel. It doesn't mean that if you give your life to God, you will get healthy, rich, and wise. In fact, many who have sold out to God with the complete opposite direction, and God was no less good. What this means, though, is when you have God's love in your life, you will never have another need because he will take care care of you you're all gonna die this doesn't mean you're not going to die you're gonna die I'm gonna die we're all gonna die welcome to Kingsway aren't you glad you're here for such an encouraging message and none of us know the exact way we're gonna die whether it's a car accident or a cancer or a bomb or a war or whatever it might be what we know with absolute certainty though is God's love plus nothing equals everything everything because God promises to take care of his children he will take care of you so that's last week. Now, let me show it to you in a passage that'll set us up for the rest of today. Ready? Here it comes John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says this As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now, This one verse has become one of those handful or two handful of verses that have so gripped me over the last couple years that it has wrecked me. It's wrecked the way I view God. It's wrecked the way I look at the world. It's wrecked the way I parent my kids and try to be a husband to my wife. It has wrecked everything about me because essentially what Jesus has said to his disciples who've shared it with us is Jesus was in a constant love relationship with the Father and he enjoyed that relationship. Was Jesus ever hungry? Yes. Did Jesus always have a place to lay his head? No. Did Jesus ever get persecuted? Yeah, multiple times people tried to kill him. They tried to pick up stones to throw at him to kill him. One time they tried to grab him and throw him off a cliff, and he just like slips through the crowd. So does that mean that God's love means nothing bad's ever going to happen to you? Of course not. That is not at all what it means. What does it mean? It means that Jesus enjoyed a loving relationship with God the Father. By the way, the concept of Father was mind-boggling to the early believers. The Israelites, and Jesus was a Jew, make no mistake, the Israelites didn't have a concept of God as a Father. That is not the way they view God. Their father was Father Abraham. He had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. That's another church joke. If you didn't grow up in the church, you don't know that one, all right. God as a father was mind-boggling because what does that mean? And most of you know, because we all have broken dads. All of us have broken dads, my kids included. But what none of us has is a broken father. There's actually a point in the Bible where we're told that God alone is our father. One of my favorite titles for God, it's an Old Testament title, but it carries into the New Testament in theme, and that is this, God is a father to the fatherless. That God is actually going about the world and taking care of, watching out for, protecting those who have no father. Does that mean that fatherless people never suffer? Oh, no, it's not at all what it means. What it means, though, is God is good, and we can trust him. And that's the relationship that Jesus has with his father, that Jesus has with God the father. He loves him. He enjoys love from him. Now, where the disciples come into the picture is Jesus has shared the love of the Father with them so that as God has loved Jesus, Jesus has loved them. He's cared for them. He's protected them. He's taught them. He's spent time with them. These are things that fathers do when he loves his children. And then he says, And now remain in my love, which is why we have a core value around here. It's our first core value, and it is this celebration. Celebration. We love God. What it means, really, it, we should have a previous core value. like core value zero. God loves us, therefore we love God. That's the way maybe we should write it. Celebration just means we understand that God's love is unique in all of the world. We understand that God's love is like nothing else. And we understand that our God is not like all those other gods. He truly is the only God. And he loves us. And he loves us more than we can even now grasp or fathom. He loves us more than our dad. And if you had a bad dad, then that's easy for you to understand. But even if you had a good dad, he loves you more than that. He loves you, he cares for you, protects you, he provides for you, watches out for you. Doesn't mean nothing bad's gonna happen. It just means you'll always be in the Father's love. Now and forever. So therefore, we gather together and we just wanna love God back. We do that by singing songs about him. We do that by taking communion to honor him. We do that by giving generously. We do that by serving. We do it by opening our Bibles and reading and praying and talking to him. But it's all about a relationship with a real being. God. And now, Here's the reason why you exist. You ready? God has created you to be loved. That's your identity. It's not about what you do. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about how many hours you put in at work or didn't put in at work. It's not about how much sleep you got or didn't get, or whether you got to work out or didn't get to work out. Whether you're on your New Year's goals or you're off your New Year's goals, even if your New Year's goal is about a quiet time with God, your success and your failures in life, however you define those, however your boss or your parents or your spouse defines those, is secondary, tertiary, whatever fourthiary is to this thing. God created you to be loved first and foremost by him. A few years ago, I read an article, and then I shared it on a Sunday, and then I got feedback from Kingsway members who've actually seen this up close. Here was what the article describes. The tragedy. If you go to certain places around the world, not only are children sometimes abandoned and orphaned, But in some tragic situations, uh, you ever hear of puppy mills or kitty mills, where people would mass produce puppies and kitties in order to sell them and put them in kennels and you get all kinds of inbreeding issues and things like that? Well, sometimes in foreign countries, you would get people doing similar things, different but similar things with human beings and they would put them in terrible, terrible environments. Some contexts, you would actually see uh, beds with kids who would get food, but they would never get held. They would never get loved. And what would happen many times as a byproduct of that is their bodies would become undeveloped, unformed. See, I can give you all the food you need. I can give you all the water that you need. I could put a roof over your head. I can even give you medical attention. But God has created you To be loved. And specifically, loved by him. So, in the same way that the father loved the son, the son loved the disciples, but the point then is for that process to continue on out into the world. Take a look. John chapter 15, very next verse, verse 10. Jesus says this. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You were created to be loved. You were created to, what's the word there? Remain in my love. Did you know that Jesus now not said that twice? Verse 9, the Father loved me. I loved you. Remain in my love. Now, verse 10, if you keep my commands, you're going to remain in my love. Now, here's the thing. The word remain is crazy. Go read your various translations. New America Standard, English Standard, NIV, NLT, Message Bible, pick them all. They all use words like this. Remain, stay, and then there's this one word, and I don't even know what to do with this one word. You ever heard of this word before? Abide. You ever heard the word abide before? I didn't know what it meant. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know what it means. I went and looked it up. What does it mean in the Greek? What does it mean in the English? Then I called one of my friends who's a Bible college professor. I was a doctorate. He was really smart. I knew he was smart when we were in Greek class together, and he started getting A's, and I was struggling to get C's. I was like, he's smart. And I called him to say, what's the word mean? And here's what he said. It means remain or stay <laughs> or abide. <laughs> Thank you. That's very helpful. But he said, Matt, we had like a half-hour conversation late at night this week. He said, Matt, but it goes so much deeper than that. He said, I want you to imagine something. If you were gonna build a temple for God, you're gonna put out the walls and put up the foundation. After the building was built, you would then fill the building with the things that you needed. Any God, it wouldn't matter. I mean, our God is the only God, but let's just say you were gonna do this for some false God somewhere in the world. Any God. The last things, the last touches you would put into the building itself is you would put in some sort of image of that God in order to capture the thing that you're worshiping. And the goal then would be that that God would fill that temple. He said, Matt, this is exactly what God did when he built the world. And he brought the stars and he put them in place and he brought the planets and he put them in place and he put earth in its place and he put trees in their place and water in its place and he separated sky from ground and he put it in its place. He's preparing a temple to fill with his presence and then the last thing he put in is an image of himself. And the last thing he put in was what? You! He said, man, but don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you are a God or you can become a God. That's not scripture. God filled his, quote unquote, temple with images of himself that he intended then in Jesus to actually fill with himself. He was creating, don't miss this, a house, I can get quite the applause. I thought that would get. <laughs> no, stick with me. We're gonna sing another verse. I'm just kidding. Stick with me. Why is this important? You ever notice the connection between the word "abide" and the word "abode"? You know what a boat is? It's a house. Mikasa es su casa. What God is doing in Jesus Christ is He's building a house. And He's saying, Look, there are a lot of places you can run to and look for love. There's a lot of places you can go to try to find meaning and purpose. But until you build camp in my presence, you're going to keep looking, you're going to keep striving, you're going to keep wanting. And if you go outside the house to try to find things that I don't have for you, see, inside the house, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to fill your refrigerator with food. I'm going to put food in your cabinet. I'm going to put heat on. I'm going to take care of you. In my house, I will provide for you. I am doing this. But you go outside my house, go outside my will, go outside my holiness, go outside my presence and try to find what only I can provide and you're gonna be frustrated over and over and over again. This is the root of what Jesus is trying to get to. He says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Stay inside the house. Now I get it, this analogy breaks down because some of you are like, man, I get really bored inside my house, I gotta get out. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's simply trying to say, be with me, rest with me. And then my friend, who's the doctor and way smarter than I am, he goes, Matt, I feel like right now I need to preach a sermon to me. So, Because I kept interrupting and asked questions. He's like, hang on, let me finish. I'm like, all right, all right, I'll shut up. He's like, just listen, just listen. He goes, I need this right now. This one's for me. I think God's had you call me for me. I was like, good, because I'm benefiting too. He said, everything in life is from God and for God. Loving your children is no less of a spiritual act than showing up at church and raising your hands and singing songs. Going to your job and enjoying the fact that God has provided something for you to do with your hands is no less an act of worship because it's from him. Putting on your clothing, doing your hair, putting on your deodorant. By God's grace, put on your deodorant. Whatever it is you're doing when you are in the Father's love, all of it, All of it has meaning. So it doesn't matter if I'm sitting here preaching to a thousand people or if I'm sitting there talking to one person. It doesn't matter if I'm doing it to my kids or my wife at home, we're talking about God or if I'm in the car or if it's just me alone with him. If I am in his love, everything in my life has purpose. Everything in my life has meaning. When I'm checking out at the gas register, when I'm going to the grocery store, all of it has meaning and purpose, which is why it's critical that we do it all in a way that is pleasing to him, which is why he's saying, when you keep my commands, when you follow my lead, when you do what I've asked you to do, it doesn't have to make sense. There's gonna be times I'm gonna say, don't do that. And you'll go, why? I don't understand. It's not hurting anybody. And God will say, because it's not what I created you for. It's outside of my love. But God, I have these desires. I want that, but I can afford it. But God, I can handle it. I know you think you can. But if you trust me, then trust that I know what's best for you. Trust that I have created you in such a way that you can only find what you're looking for when you find it in me. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Here's a little phrase I came up with. It's gonna sound really familiar. In order to remain, we must trust and obey. In order to remain, we must trust and obey. That's how we remain in God's love. Now, here's the thing. Jesus bridges off of this concept of obeying him. And he goes right to, and of all the ways you need to obey me, of all of them, here's one critical one. Verse 12, very next verse. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. The father loved the son. The son looks at the disciples and says, I have loved you in the same way that my father has loved you. Now, hang on for a second. This one ruins me on a regular basis. Not gonna lie. When my kids, not like saying yesterday this happened, just theoretically, if they should ever do anything like this. When my kids are disobeying and throwing an absolute fit over something that I've said, my kids would never do that. Your kids probably would. My kids would never do that when they've theoretically done something like that. How does the Father love me when I'm doing that? Not that I ever do that either, but how does the Father love me? How does he treat me? How does he discipline me? How does he correct me? How does he rebuke me? How does he love me? Go do the same. When my spouse and I are having a spat over something else that I'm sure I deserved, really honestly, that's not sarcasm or she's done something to hurt me? How has the father loved me? How has the father given me mercy and grace? How has the father forgiven me? How has the father corrected me? How has the father changed me? How did he show me patience? How do I do the same? Same thing in your workplace with a, with a coworker. Same thing with your parents. How has the Father loved Jesus and Jesus loved me and me now? How do I give that away to someone? It's been revolutionary for me, guys. It's changing my life. And it's changing my life in ways that I don't always like because sometimes I like doing things the way I do them because they're comfortable to me. But I don't want to do it the way I want to do it. I want to remain in his love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Because here's the thing, God has created you not just to be loved, but to love. Love. That's your purpose in life, to receive the love of God and then to give it away, to receive it and give it, to receive it and give it over and over and over and over again until you take your last breath. And on your last breath, if you've got any words to say to anybody, look at the people you love and say, I love you, and then take that last breath and go be with your Father. Jesus says it this way. He's approached one time. We see this in multiple gospels. I think it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We see Jesus is approached and he's asked. We actually believe this happened more than once. This was a common answer for Jesus. But he's approached and he's asked, what is the most important commandment? Of all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of do's and don'ts in the Old Testament, what is the most important one? And Jesus answers in this way. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So in other words, Jesus took all of the Old Testament laws and summarized them here. If you want to know how to do life right, love God with everything you have. In other words, build a house here in God's love. Remain there in God's love. Soak in the joy, the pleasure, the relationship of God who loves you. But then... Jesus goes on and he answers. He doesn't even ask, what's the second one, Jesus? He just tells you. He doesn't even finish the sentence. It's because you can't separate the two. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love that. Like, You ever tried that with somebody? Like, can you just tell me the one thing you want me to do? Here's two. No, I don't want two, I want one. Jesus says, I can't give you one. I can't give you one because they go together. You cannot possibly say you love God and not love other people. It's impossible to separate them. You can't say you're forgiven by God and not forgive someone else. It is impossible to separate them. You cannot say that you've been shown mercy and you've not shown mercy to someone else. It is impossible to separate them. You cannot say that you are blessed and yet you do not bless other people. You cannot separate them. You cannot say that God has saved you from a life of sin and death and yet continue to live in sin. You cannot separate them. Now, are they two separate commands? Of course. But all the law and the prophets hang on these two, Because if you know and understand the love of God, you're gonna to wanna to live there and eat there and drink there and sleep there and just be there in the presence of God and all that you say and all that you do. Jesus thought this was so important. He re-emphasized this it. John chapter 15, verse 17. He goes on, he says it again. This is my command, love each other. It said the guy who wrote this book, John, the, the apostle John, Almost all the apostles are killed in some form or another. Thomas actually went there when we go to Kira, India, in Chennai. They actually have a basilica there where they believe his bones are buried. You actually like, can see the little things. Look down, it's kind of weird and creepy and cool at the same time. But it's been said that Thomas went to India to take the gospel there. And while praying one night, one of the natives came and I think it was took a spear and killed him. Many of the apostles were cut with a sword or killed or hung or burned, stoned to death. Killed in many ways. Poor John, they put him in a big pot and they tried to boil into death. History records he didn't die. So he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he ends up writing the book of Revelation. Now, this is where Bible history and church history don't always go together. The Bible stops, church history keeps going. Here's the thing, we as Christians put a lot of weight on what the Bible says. We put a little bit of weight on what church history says because we trust that God directed the Bible, we don't always know if church history is accurate, especially when there's inconsistencies in it. What we know though is church history records that John gets off the island of Patmos, he goes and visits churches like Ephesus, and I believe it's in Ephesus he lives out the rest of his life, and when he's a really old man, he's had quite a painful life, they would bring him up occasionally, he doesn't really preach much, he doesn't have the energy to do as much as he used to do, he would get up and they would say, tell us about Jesus, tell us about Jesus. Can you imagine, I don't know how old he was, 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old. Back in those days, that would have been really, really old. My grandma's 91, she's amazing, still runs two, three miles a day. John gets up and they're like, tell us, tell us, tell us about Jesus, teach us, teach us, teach us. He says one thing over and over and over again. Dear little children, love one another. But tell us about the time you saw a man get on the cross. A day. Oh, it was a day. Love one another. Tell us about when we rose from the dead. What was that like, Peter, there that day with Peter? Whew. Love one another. That's all he would say. History records that this old John would just get up and say over and over and over again children, just stop fighting, stop arguing, stop bickering. Does it really matter who's right and wrong here? Just love one another. A long time ago, I came to this definition. This is my definition. I reserve the right to change it because it's not from God's word. It's my summary of what I hear God saying in his word. Here it is, ready? Love is me doing what is best for you. That's what I believe the biblical description of love is. Me doing what is best for you. Sometimes me speaking a truth into your life that's really hard, you don't wanna hear, but it's the most loving thing I can do. There are moments in my life that I haven't listened to the spirit whisper to me and say, you need to say something about that situation and that person train wrecked their life and I carry guilt and regret to this day because I didn't do the most loving thing, I did the safest thing. Not telling somebody about God's love, not inviting them to come and meet him at church is the least loving thing you could do because if you really believe that God is a righteous judge, and we have the responsibility to tell the world because we want everybody to know his love. It is not loving to say, Well, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. No, what if what I believe is actually true because he's real? It's not loving for me to not tell you. It's not loving for me to not show you. James clarifies this later in the book of James. He says, look, if you got two blankets and somebody's cold, what are you going to do with two blankets? Now, some of y'all may need two. I get it. But if you don't need two, give one away. I always wash one and use one. Wash it and then use it. Give it away. If you don't need it, why are you keeping it? If somebody else needs it. Because the most loving thing that I can do is whatever is best For you, that's a life-changing principle. What do my kids need right now? What does my boss need right now? What do my parents need right now? And what you're gonna find is as you rest in the love of God, you're gonna flow with the Spirit and follow his leading, and it's gonna change from moment to moment as you're following him, and that's okay. Just stay in step with him and keep following his lead. That's why our second core value as a church is this, community, community. We love each other. We love each other. we do this in many, many, many ways, but there are two primary ways that we practice this. So if you're new to Kingsway, or if you've been, maybe you come every once in a while, you've never heard this, here you go. Two primary ways that we do this. We do this primarily by connecting and by serving. By connecting and serving. We've been trying to launch a ministry um, here at Kingsway for a while now called our section hosts. And some of you have met them, and some of you haven't. There's a reason. Just to give an example here of one of the ways that we want to love each other. A section host is somebody where we basically just want to take each of these little sections in the room and say, that's your section, that's your area. Your job is to know the people who come there. I don't know if you know this or not, but we tend to be creatures of habit. You may come visit the church and try a couple different seats when you come, but once you find your seat, like you put your name on that bad boy, don't you? Like churches have split because somebody else sat in my seat. You ever show up as like a guest is sitting in your seat and you show up and go, I don't know what I'm gonna do now. Honey, we gotta go home. We'll stay. We'll come back in the next service. Maybe nobody's using it then. We are creatures of habit. Now, some of you are like the opposite. Like, we're gonna switch seats because we don't ever wanna do the same thing twice. But what we're trying to do is raise up an army of people who just know the people in their area and say, look, when people come to church, they wanna be known. Most people who come to Kingsway have a great experience. I hope you do too. But we've heard some things recently over the last month from some people who visited and just said, man, I showed up, like, nobody said a word to me. Nobody said a word to me. And that's not at all the experience we want, which is why we're trying to become the most loving place on earth. Our 2020 vision is to become the most loving place that we can possibly become. We're not trying to outdo Trader's Point or Harvest or any of the other great churches in our community. We're not in a competition with anybody. We just want to be the most loving place we could be. And the only way for us to get there is for us to connect with each other and to serve each other. That's it. That's all we can do. That's all any of us can do. Which is why I'm challenging some of you to go to the women's retreat, Go to the men's retreat. Show up. I get it. Especially dudes. Like, what am I gonna do? I'm not gonna know anybody. I know. But you'll get to know them when you get there. You'll play some basketball. You will shoot people with guns. Not real guns, but they're fun little air guns. You will have a blast hanging out together. And you'll get to know some people. Because God created you to be loved and to give love. And it's not enough to give. And it's not enough just to give. You must do both. Two things that we're done. Okay. I want everybody to do this with me. Ready? I want you to take a breath. Hang on, not yet. On three, I'm gonna say one, two, three. Go take a breath. Don't exhale until I say. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Hold it. Now take another breath. Hold it. Now, take it. all right go ahead and exhale how many of you actually did it do you know what happens if you keep breathing in and never exhale you die it's pretty simple ready to strike the other way on three we're all gonna exhale don't take a breath do we really need to do it do you know what happens if you exhale and exhale and exhale and never take a breath you die it's really simple right But guess what? God created you to both receive love and give love and receive it and give it and receive it and give it and receive it and give it and receive it. And 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 the moment you just start receiving it, you die. And the moment you just start giving it, you die. Which is why connect and serve go hand in hand. They must go together because you cannot just receive love, you must also give love. Love. Here's my challenge for you today. Those cards sitting in front of you, you may see them. There's one that says connect and one says serve. Which season are you in right now? Do you need to receive love, maybe through connecting? Do you need to give love? Maybe both. Would you just pick up a card, fill it out, take it to the connect hub when you walk out these doors? You don't even necessarily have to know what's next to say, all right, I'm convicted, I'm dying here. (laughs) And we'll walk you through the next steps. Last thing I wanna do is I wanna read you a passage. I want you to look for the concept of connect and serve. I want you to look for the concept of giving love and getting love in what Peter says and then I'm gonna pray and we're gonna take communion and bring our offerings. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter four, verse seven through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let's just let that one sink in for a minute. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. If anyone speaks, Do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people have said, amen. We're gonna pray and as we pray, when we're done, there's communion all over the room. This is your chance to get love. As you take that bread and juice, remember that God loves you enough to send his one and only son. You are eating and drinking the physical presence of God's love, okay? But there's also offering baskets on those same tables. It's another way that you can give God's love and to say, I want this whole world to know that God loves me. Here's my generosity, Father. I trust you because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, I'm guessing most of us came in here today with many, many answers as to what it is you've created us for. God, not above all else, above all else, nothing compares to your love. Nothing compares to your love. God, I pray that maybe some men and women in this room who had some faulty thinking about that have their minds changed right now, and now God, convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, will go from this place learning to rest in your love, learning to take a deep breath, And trust that you are for them. You're gonna work it out. You're gonna take care of them. They don't have to lie or deceive or hide or control or manipulate anymore. They can just simply rest in your love. You will take care of them. And then God, I pray that those same people you will build up in your love and give them the power of your presence to give love, to give it away, to serve others, to meet others' needs, to use whatever gift your spirit has given them And God, may we feel most alive in you when we do this. Oh, God, we love you. Come be with us. In Jesus' name.